This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Saturday, December 31st, 2022. I'm Caleb Brown. Making fun of public figures is well understood to be protected speech, but what about public agencies, specifically local cops? In two cases, the local cops didn't really care for the jokes and decided to intervene. Cato's Tommy Berry details the cases and why they might have implications for the famously dubious doctrine known as qualified immunity. When it comes to criticizing the police, what do we know about how the First Amendment functions? Well, we know most importantly that parodies are protected by the First Amendment. There's a Supreme Court case about Hustler magazine where they did a rather raunchy parody of a public figure, Jerry Falwell, and the Supreme Court said squarely that the First Amendment protects jokes, even if they're offensive to some, even if they're parodies that might fool people for a certain amount of time, that if the reasonable reader understands after reflection that this is a parody, not a serious statement, it's protected by the First Amendment. And you can't bring a claim of defamation, you can't bring a claim, you can't criminalize it, and you otherwise can't get around that that basic fact that it's protected by the First Amendment. Okay, that's making fun of Jerry Falwell, though. What about local cops? Local cops uh, under the same rules, or at least they should be, though a lot of cops don't seem to believe they fall under the same rules. All right. So you have two cases here that are similar and have sort of the same implication when it comes to making fun of cops uh, in, in a using a public forum, essentially, uh, Facebook. Uh, so what are these? Describe these cases. Sure. So one was out of Parma, Ohio. A guy decided to be funny, kind of be the local onion for the police force. He creates a Facebook page that looks at first glance like it's the Parma, Ohio uh, Police Department page, though if you dug deeper, you'd see there wasn't the official checkmark for it, and you'd also see that all of the posts were absurd. There were things like uh, free abortions out of the back of a police van, or all you know crimes are legal for today, um, just the c- kind of things that you'd see on the onion, not on an official uh, police uh, Facebook page. Uh, the police did not take too kindly to it, however. Uh, they argued that a few calls they got to the non-emergency hotline basically constituted a distraction of resources, and they arrested him under a statute that uh, criminalizes using a computer uh, to interfere with police operations. And they kept him in jail for four days, and they brought him to trial, and he was eventually acquitted. Um, So that's one absurd case. And then another similar one, March of 2020, a guy in uh, Louisiana decides to have a little fun and make light of the emerging COVID pandemic. He posts on Facebook, warning, local sheriff's department has been authorized to shoot, quote, the infected on site. Hashtag, we need you, Brad Pitt. Uh, which was a reference to the World War Z movie. So pretty obviously comparing the uh, COVID pandemic to a zombie apocalypse. Uh, Once again, the police did not have a sense of humor, sent a SWAT team uh, to his apartment and arrested him, uh, telling him, next thing you post on Facebook should be don't bleep with the police. Uh, So in both of these cases, we have humorless police departments that did not consider these parodies to be protected uh, and that arrested people for their uh, innocuous Facebook posts. Okay, so uh, you have the police responding overwhelmingly to some posts on social media. Uh, One man was arrested for several days and one man was visited by a SWAT team. Uh, These seem like clear violations of these people's rights. 
You would think so, but the problem is that under the doctrine of qualified immunity, uh, courts put an extremely high bar for what a plaintiff has to show when they try to make police accountable for the choices they've made. Uh, courts look to not just was this established, but was it clearly established by prior precedents? And they often take way too narrow a view of what it takes to clearly establish it. If there's not a case with the exact same facts, someone posting a zombie post on Facebook and a court finding it was protected, then they'll say, oh, it's up in the air. It's not clear. We have to give the police the benefit of the doubt. And that's what happened in both of these cases. In the Parma, Ohio case, uh, the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals said, well, he did some things like he deleted uh, comments under the posts pointing out it was parody, it's not clear that that didn't cross the line into conduct rather than speech. So therefore, they get qualified immunity. In Louisiana, the court said, well, this is sort of like shouting fire, falsely shouting fire in a crowded theater. And there's a 1910s uh, Supreme Court case saying that's not protected. So I'm going to say it probably wasn't protected. All right. So uh, we have had a long string of disappointments. Uh with re respect to the U.S. Supreme Court, which invented qualified immunity from actually grappling with the implications of having created that doctrine. Um, what do you foresee here? I mean, the Supreme Court has a pretty long history, a fairly clear cut history of providing the highest level of protection for uh, the First Amendment for speech. And yet we have a more recent tradition of the court also protecting uh, sometimes egregious misconduct by law enforcement. It's a fascinating question because you really do have these two competing doctrines sort of at loggerheads with each other, and now you have them in conflict. My hope is that the Ohio case is farther ahead, so it's at a petition for the Supreme Court to review right now. And my hope is that at the very least, the Supreme Court might consider, is there a difference in qualified immunity between split-second decisions and decisions where you have longer time to deliberate? This isn't the kind of case where uh, police officer had to decide to pull a trigger within a split second. These are both cases where this, the police took a day or two to deliberate and decided, yes, we're going to arrest this person for nothing but his speech. Um, and in that situation, I think the policy arguments for giving cops the benefit of the doubt are much weaker. And I hope that the Supreme Court would consider at the very least, if they're going to start ruling back qualified immunity, at least start with cases where decisions were made after a few days of contemplation and in the with enough time to look at Supreme Court doctrine when they should have seen this on-point Supreme Court doctrine protecting the speech. Do you have any particular expectations? Uh, it, the odds are always long for getting uh, petitions granted. Only about 1% of any petition is granted. Um, but given that this court has been very good on protecting speech, and there have been two recent cases where they protected the right to parody, um, there was a, a case about a, a clothing brand um, that, that had sort of offensive speech, and they nonetheless protected its its right to, to be offensive. Um, my hope is that the Supreme Court will be concerned by the fact that if these precedents are allowed to stand, uh, people will feel a lot less comfortable uh, with parroting not just the police, but any government official. And that's just anathema to the most basic reason we have the First Amendment, which is prodding and criticizing the government. Tommy Berry is a research fellow at the Cato Institute. It's that time of year when I ask you, yes, you, for the last time this year, to show your support for this podcast and the broad mission of the Cato Institute with a gift, you can visit cato.org slash podcast sponsor to get started. And thank you. <laughs> 